Man, I am so, and Gage, sorry. Uh, I am so thankful and excited you guys are here tonight. I know this is the time of year where it's like, man, it's cold, dark. Do they seriously still not have heat um, in the auditorium? And it's like, why even come? But I tell you, I'm just really encouraged because when, you know, this, this verse is, is jacked out of context a lot. And it doesn't mean that if there's two or more people at a place that God only shows up in that moment. But I do think that there's something powerful and beautiful about just the people of God gathering uh, to worship him. And um, I, I just really believe in you guys. Uh, you think we're one semester into this thing and we've already um, just seen the Lord do some incredible mighty things. And tonight is a fun night for me. Uh, I mentioned last week that I get to do something that I've always wanted to do. Um, I've always wanted to give you a little peek behind the curtain as to what goes into my thought process of, of what, I, what I think about the ministry of teaching, um, especially for this ministry, but in general. And then we're going to do a giant 30,000 foot view of the story of God in the gospel and then zoom in on 2 Timothy and show what it looks like to live out 2 Timothy in response to what Christ has done for us. So I cannot wait to do that. I hope you are excited as well. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy. And keep in mind, listen, we talked about last week, everybody at this time of year, things slow down, you're looking forward to break, and it's hard to remember to stay on mission. And listen, the only thing that will motivate you and sustain you is hearing the Word of God and by His Spirit doing a work in you to stay motivated. Because inspirational talks won't get you there. Um, guilt won't sustain you. Only a peak of the glory of God in His Word will get us to that point where even in these hard seasons, in season, out of season, we're able to keep sustaining, keep making disciples, um, stay pressed into spiritual disciplines, and ultimately just see our lives uh, bring more glory to God. So I'm going to pray for you, for us, and then we will, I'm going to give you a, kind of a three-part intro of where we're going, make sure you're, you're anchored in, and then we will celebrate the gospel tonight. And um, I'm looking forward to just continue to sing with you all um, in response to 2 Timothy. So let's pray, and then we will go at it. Uh, Father, thank you so much for loving us, for, um, for not needing us, and for wanting us um, out of an overflow of of your self-sufficiency and, and gladness. Uh, Father, I pray right now for the hearts of the people in this room that, that we'd be receptive um, to a story that I'm sure gets, uh, and to our shame, it gets old to us, that, that, that we get bored sometimes with the gospel. So I pray uh, that we'd repent of that and we'd, we would take steps toward you tonight. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. All right, so here's, here's the framework of the message. The first part is this. We're going to review the Second Timothy framework, and really I'm going to let you see, you guys don't know this, but I'm going to let you see the goals that I had for the 12 or 13 week series of Second Timothy. Um, the second part, we're going to, as we've already said, anchor ourselves in the gospel story, gospel proclamation, and gospel mission. And then lastly, to end our night, we will review our charge from Second Timothy in light of this gospel. So if you've been going with this this semester, you know normally I like to go like word by word, verse by verse. Can't do that because that would be the whole book and it'll take forever. So we are going to be flying around a little bit tonight, but I pray that the Lord would just stir something in you as you hear the gospel over and over and over again and see how that actually bleeds over into a life um, that looks like Jesus and specifically in what the Lord was trying to do through his book, Second Timothy. 
So a few disclaimers of what we're trying to do at first. Um, every sermon that I preach, that is preached, is meant to re-say what God is already saying in his living and active word so that all the hearers will meet him and abide in him. Get that again. When I'm preaching, I'm not up here trying to say something new. We're just trying to re-say what God's already said in hopes that he'll do a work in us. And also, every sermon that is preached is meant to re-say what God is already saying with an emphasis on exhortation as the chapters and verses see fit so that all of us will follow the Spirit's leading through his word to be more like Christ as we advance the gospel. So every sermon I'm coming in, I'm preparing, I'm thinking, how can I say this in a way that it doesn't look clever, cool, or funny, but that people will encounter God through his word in a way that they will abide in Christ and ultimately advance the gospel because they work together. I know that the more you fall in love with Jesus and the more that you see him and love him and cherish him and treasure him, the more that your life is going to be just compelled to go. And that's really, that's really the heart, that abiding will lead to advancing. And that's why we do Tuesday night meetings, right? Like, we could do a successful discipleship ministry without ever meeting weekly. But the point is that we can make sure that we are gathering together to sing praises of God, but also to hear his word in a way with an emphasis on abiding and an emphasis on advancing. So with that being said, here were the three goals of 2 Timothy. So you want to write these down if you're taking notes. Here's what I was trying to get at. The first one's redundant, but I don't care. The first framework is the gospel. You're going to hear that word a lot tonight. But the, the gospel is the power of God to save. And even after we are saved, after we are justified through faith, the grace in the gospel becomes the means by which we continually get deeper in the knowledge of God. You, you hear me on that? Like, we're not, the, the gospel's not just, heard it said this way before, the gospel's not just the ABCs of Christianity, it's the A through Z. You don't go beyond, you don't get to the gospel and then move beyond it. You only go deeper into it. And I'll be honest, cards on the table tonight, I need this so much tonight. I, um, I didn't plan on sharing this, but I'm going to. Um, the last two days have been in, incredibly spiritually difficult for me. Um, and it's been, it's been strange because there's kind of, there's echoes of, of what's been going on these last two days that kind of happened to me later in this past summer, like right before I took, um, or right after I took the job here at HCC. And the past two days, I have been absolutely overwhelmed with guilt. Um, and it hasn't been one of those things where, like, I have this, like, a, a constant nagging of guilt. Like, I feel like I'm not doing enough or I'm not doing the right thing. It has been almost to the point where I can almost just see it. I can, I have felt the weight of past sins. Um, I don't know if you've ever been there. And I'm not talking, like, last week. I'm talking seven years ago sins that, that for whatever reason, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know if it's um, some sort of spiritual attack or if it's just me dwelling on the wrong things. But I have been, you can ask, like, Corey, in the last few days I've just been not myself dwelling on this fact that I am completely unworthy and, and not in, like, the self-deprecating humility way, like, I'm unworthy to do ministry, but, like, thinking I have really, royally screwed up. And, and this is stuff that, like, when I was 19 and started following the Lord... This was like the, the you know, y'all, you have, I don't know if it's part of your story too, but like, you kind of have like those certain sins that you kind of got to, it's like, all right, I finally understand that God forgives me of those. 
I don't know if you've, if you've been there. I see some head nods. Um, and sometimes we mask it in this way of, I just can't forgive myself. You ever heard that? Like, I know God has forgiven me, but I don't forgive myself. Uh, that, I, I'm under conviction that's unbiblical. Uh, there's nowhere in the Bible that you are told to learn how to forgive yourself. Because if you're learning to forgive yourself, that means in some messed up way, I was making myself the standard. Like, I was the ultimate ruler that I needed forgiveness from. And I have felt the weight of that these last two days. And the only way, and I'm telling you, this was up until this morning. You can ask Jake. I, uh, I had to call him this morning. He was in the middle of writing a paper. And I was literally like, I have to talk to you. So, like, paper's got to wait. Um, and, and just had to bear my soul to him. And just be like, I, I mean, literally, I was going through, like, old stuff. Like, this was really bad. I need to confess this again. And this is, this is 17-year-old Dustin stuff I'm bringing back up. And the only way, I guess I've discovered, hopefully I keep learning this, only way to truly experience freedom, what I was looking for was some other knowledge, some theological hurdle to get to, but the only thing that freed me up was a brother in Christ, an incredible wife, other friends in prayer reminding me that those sins were just forgiven. And that is why it is my absolute heart and passion that in every sermon, we don't have evangelistic sermons once every three weeks, and there's not a sermon where we're going to come in and say, all right, get really excited, y'all. This week we're preaching the gospel. It's because every single book of the Bible will find its consummation in the gospel. We need the gospel to understand the text. We need the gospel to know the God of the text. And we need the gospel to empower us to live out the implications of it. Number two. The, and these are alliterations. You're going to make fun of me. It's okay. Um, Whatever reason I was thinking alliterations this past summer, I was planning this. Number two, I want us to focus on leaving a legacy through diligent discipleship. I know. Sorry. Um, so one of the goals of this series was to see students under the ministry of this preaching become active disciple makers as they think about what kind of legacy they want to leave on Marshall's campus. But remember, legacy is not about you. It's about God. I'm not worried about the name that you leave. So five years from now, we think, man, remember all the disciples that guy made? Legacy is ultimately about what you do for Christ and ultimately what people see in your life should be what God is doing through it. Number three, staying faithful through powerful perseverance. Another goal of this series was to see campus collective students stay faithful in the ministry of disciple making even when their lives get hectic and difficult because of sin and suffering. So every text had a little bit of this bend. And it wasn't me making it up because I read a good article, okay? This was, as I read 2 Timothy over and over again, listened to it, meditated on it. I just saw somehow in this epistle for us in this moment, 2017, for whatever reason, maybe it was just me, but some of us in here needed the Spirit of God to work in such a way that we would be diligent in our discipleship and ultimately we'd persevere in the face of suffering. And maybe that's landed with you. If you've been with us for 15 weeks now, you, you've heard some of these things, and maybe the Lord has done that in you. Um, because how many times this semester have we felt like giving up? Maybe it was more subtle. There wasn't this kind of climactic, ah, I'm giving up on the faith, but maybe it was just these subtle little things. I'm a little bored here, don't want to commit here, and all of a sudden you find yourself in a place you never thought you would be. Maybe you just got that phone call that changed your life. We need perseverance to stay in the fight. 
So that was the three things. It was every sermon's got to have the gospel. I want to urge us, urge me to stay diligent in disciple making, and ultimately sin and suffering is going to come. So how are we going to persevere? And spoilers, the perseverance piece bleeds over into next semester when we go into First Peter, perseverance and suffering. So when we see these three things, I think it's appropriate tonight rather than going straight through review of 2 Timothy, that we just take a step back and actually ask ourselves, what is the gospel? <laughs> what is it? Now some of you are like theologically minded, you're already thinking, oh man, we've heard this. It's going to give some definition that he got from John Piper. And I know, I know what we're thinking, but like, listen here. It is a dangerous thing in your heart if when you hear the gospel is going to come, or even worse, when you hear the gospel, all of a sudden you start checking out. This is dangerous. So check your soul right now. We are going to talk about the gospel, and we're not just going to talk about asking Jesus into your heart. We're going to start back and ask ourselves, what is the epitome, what is the word, what is the full-scale story of what God is doing through his scriptures to show us what he has ultimately done for sinners in Jesus Christ. So that's where we're going. And I'm going to go and forewarn you. This part's going to be really hard to take notes on. So you can try, but it's going to be difficult. So here's where we start. Creation. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. Now, a few things about this. Number one, God created everything. Created everything. Everything you see and everything you don't see, but something else I want you to, to see, even though it is we could spend all day dreaming about the power that it takes to somehow just make all this, but I want you to see something in Genesis 1.1 that maybe you haven't viewed in this light. The Bible does not really go to a lot of lengths to convince you that God is real. It's in the beginning, God. God. There's, there's not an apologetic argument. God just is. And, and, and some of us would do our souls a lot of good if we would just dwell on that tonight, right? Like, God exists. And if he does, a lot of implications for the way his creation should be living. Um, a few things about this God that we learn just from the sheer fact that he created us is that he is, it's very simple, different than us. He, he is not like you. He's not like me. He is creation, and he created out of absolutely nothing everything that we see. And then he made man and woman and called it very good. Now, uh, uh, something I, I want to say for those of you maybe have never heard, like you're thinking, he's going to tell the gospel and it doesn't start in like the Romans road, and we make our pit stops and eventually we're saved. Like, I, I want you to see that the gospel is not. Only Jesus Christ died for your sins. Well, hear me this. It is that. But it is also all that God the Father is doing to reconcile sinners to himself through the word. Now that's the word, the written word, and that's also the word incarnate, namely Jesus. So we see he makes Adam and Eve, you probably know this, and, and commands them to obey. He says, subdue the earth, multiply, and do not eat of that tree. So we have commands. We have a creator God, different, bigger, badder, beautiful, powerful, 
different than us. And he says, here's my creation. You are very, very good because I made you. You're my image. And I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to work it, be creative, do things to glorify me, multiply, make more image bearers of me, and do not eat. There's commands. So what we see already in the beginning of the gospel is that God is glorious, he's worthy, he's beautiful, creative, big, powerful. And the Bible would even teach us that all of his invisible attributes can be clearly seen in creation. There's some way in which his handiwork all around you should echo in your soul in some way. And you know, wow, there's a God and he is not like me. Also, we see in these commands, what he does is he gives us purpose and identity. Purpose to do work on the earth to glorify him. Identity, we are his image bearers. You are a picture of a God that is nothing like you. We were literally created to worship God and not ourselves. We were created to enjoy and know God in a way unlike the entire rest of creation. Humans, us. Like, don't let this be some ancient story on a cave, like a cave drawing somewhere. Like, like, press in. Like, you were created for a purpose. You were created to glorify God. And your identity primarily is image bearer of God. It's what we all long for, ultimately. And if you've had gospel conversations this semester, you've probably heard this in some of the deeper conversations. Like, a lot of their longings probably boil down to they want purpose and they want identity. Probably. Um, It's because it's kind of written on our souls that you, you have a purpose to glorify your creator and you have an identity. You were made in his image. But if you've been around church and you've heard this story, you know it doesn't stay that way, right? Like, take one look at Twitter. I'm back on Twitter, by the way. Um, and, and look, <laughs> I don't remember my handle, so I don't know, search Dustin. Um, um, if, you, if you just look, like I follow these news sources, and I've seen like over and over again, if you've seen like Supreme Court cases, what is Alabama doing, not the football team, Roy Moore, and you, you just hear these accusations, after this. It's, it's no question that everything in this world is completely broken. So it's like, how do we reconcile, there's a good God that's glorious and created this, said it was good, how does, this, how does it get to this point? The Bible has answers for that. So if other questions with your um, un- non-Christian friends, they, were, they want purpose, they want identity, but also they probably have questions about how can things be so wrong? How can things be so bad? God's enemy, Satan, tempts Adam and Eve into disobeying, listen to this, their purpose and going against what they were made to do. So instead of worshiping their creator, they worship creation. Stick with me. This was, the, this was the epitome of it. And remember, it's all that God is doing to reconcile people to himself through his word. And the first thing that Satan attacks, he says this, did God really say? He knows to get these purpose-filled image bearers off their game, they have got to question the very word of the God who made them. And at that moment, that Adam and Eve sinned, it wasn't so much that God hated fruit, He gave them commands for their joy and for His glory. And at that moment when they sinned, the world fundamentally changed as we know it. Sin, death, disease, all things that are wrong with this world began to happen. One generation later, we have murder and the world gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Take us to 21st century America and we're still 
longing and we're still groaning to get away from this curse. And what's even worse is that the moment that Adam and Eve were cursed for their decision to not glorify God and their obedience is that it became impossible for them to ever get back to this perfection on their own. Because the sin problem wasn't just that they made one bad mistake. The sin problem was that their behavior showed that they had a heart that was fundamentally against their creator. Do you hear me on that? Like, it wasn't just they made a mistake. It was they have hearts that don't worship their creator. And that sin nature passed down to all of us and affects us on the deepest levels. We are evil to the core, which is how somehow a 17-year-old Dustin, raised by good Christian parents, can do things that still haunt him eight years later. Because I'm evil to the core, and so are you. And all of us, whether we admit it or not, for centuries past, coming right into today, we long to see this made right, because we now know that God is good, but also because we're evil, that makes him judge over this evil world. That's how the gospel starts. It's really bad news first. Like we say a lot of times, gospel is good news, and it is, but it starts out with a very bleak picture of mankind. You have fundamentally rebelled against your creator. You are evil to the core. Your hearts are far from the one who made you. You are going against your primary purpose and going against your primary identity. That's where we're at. Now, for those of you who... Like me, even now, like I'm fighting this, like I want to be moved by this, but there's still parts of me for whatever reason, even after my current struggles the last two days, I don't see this and and tremble. Like this should flatten us. This is bad. God made us and we rebel against him. And even those of us that have been redeemed and are in Christ, we still kind of shift back into this following that same trap of going against our purpose, going against our identity, but more than that, sinning against God. So, praise God, the story doesn't stop there. At the moment when he's pronouncing judgment on the earth and man and woman, he looks at his enemy, the snake, serpent, and he lets that serpent know that he's going to crush him. (laughs) I mean, honestly, it says, through the seed of this woman that I made, I'm going to crush your head. And I want you to see that God could have just crushed Adam and Eve, destroyed the world, and went on being the happy God that he is, and been fine. That would have been just and right for him to do. He could have. He could have said, Adam and Eve, you sinned, not only out of my garden, you are a, you are a dead man, you are a dead woman, gone. But instead, this God had a redemption plan, which takes us into, we have creation, we have fall, and there's rescue. Now, as I've already said, after this sin and fall, God promises that he will crush the head of the snake. Now, symbolically, this has big meanings, because he's showing that he is going to fix what is fundamentally wrong in the world. And the rest of the Bible, it's going to speed up a lot here, okay? We've gone through three chapters of the book, and now we're going to go a lot. But the rest of the Bible is the incredible story of God working throughout history, through prophets, through kings who charge people to follow God, and then there's kings who royally mess this up, and it's about promises of the coming Messiah 
who would eventually crush the serpent's head. You need to know this. It's not just like separated scripture that has nothing to do with your life. It's deep in you that you long for things to be right. All throughout the Bible, he is screaming, look what I've done. I've done it. Dustin, you don't have to be guilty about those things anymore. I've done something about the problem that is you. And this incredible drama plays out right before us in the pages of God's Word. Like this book that we get to preach and read. All of this is a story about the Creator God who's working to bring you back into perfect peace and joy with Him. Like, don't fall asleep on that. So, the end of the Old Testament, you see this interesting thing. Minor prophets have their final word, and then there's, scholars would say, 400 years of silence. That the people of God do not, they're in exile, they're banished, it's awful, their sin has found them out. They have these promises that God's going to fix it, but it doesn't look like that in their common experience. And they're left with not hearing from this God that's been speaking. The same word that created the world, the same word that's been speaking powerfully into these people. There's nothing. So questions come up. Would God leave his people alone? Would he really fix the evil problem they have? Is there any hope? God's people stopped hearing from him. And maybe some of us tonight are in that same mindset. That you've armed yourself with promises of God, but your current experience doesn't look anything like he's still speaking. And there was silence. And silence... And maybe some hoping, and then there's more silence, so you just get squashed again. You're just. And then the silence was broken. Now listen, the silence was not broken with a victorious warrior battle cry coming to overthrow the rulers of the world. The silence was broken with a soft cry of a baby in a manger in a town nobody cared about. And that little baby that we celebrate this time of year was not just there to become a fancy nativity scene. That little baby was God in the flesh and they called him Jesus. And he would grow up and never sin. And he would heal people and show people what God is like because he is God. He would bring the hope back to a broken humanity that was Trapped and, and shattered and shame and guilt. And all of a sudden in, this, in the most humble of ways, the most surprising of ways, you just have this little baby crying in Bethlehem in a town that literally, like, like you realize that God moved an entire empire to fulfill the prophecy of this little baby being born in Bethlehem. Like evil King Herod all of a sudden decides to have a census and bring everybody back to their hometown. <laughs> Come on. There's a big God in control to break this silence of desperation. And that little baby, he would humble himself and and he would come here to die like a man. And he, he would die on the cross for all of his enemies, all of the people who worship creation over Creator. He came to die for us. He wouldn't stay dead. The three days where he was in the grave probably felt like 400 years of silence to those that were awaiting to see what this God would do. 
three days later, rises again to be the first example showing of these fulfilled promises of the restoration of creation that God is doing. Do you get that? When, when Jesus rose again, he was ushering in what redeemed humanity would look like. And it's going to look like a humanity that can never die again. And he would offer his life for forgiveness of sin and a relationship back with God for all the people who would repent of their sin and put their trust in him. And then he would ascend and go back to be with his Father. And he would send us God the Spirit so that he could always be with us. And he gave his followers the charge to go make disciples and participate in the restoration project by telling people this story. You hear in the Great Commission that you've heard us say a million times in this ministry. You hear echoes of subdue the earth, multiply. And now it was very literal for Adam and Eve. They were the only people on the earth and they needed to make babies. But for us, we step into this redemption story that is still going. The canon is closed, but the Spirit still moves. Saving people. And we look forward to a time as God is still saving people and raising them to life through His bride, the church, One day he will come back and destroy every bit of evil and sin and suffering and make everything brand new and restore perfect peace with his creation. Never to be destroyed again. And this is the end of the gospel story that never really ends for those of us who are rescued by this God. So what do we do? Right? That's a good story. You gotta know where you're at in this story for that to really move you. And you have to see that, like, you're. That, that we just talked about the end of the story, but we still haven't got there yet. Like, there's still brokenness, there's still guilt and shame and sin and uh, non believing friends that we love that just can't get it. So, what do we do in response to this? Here's the gospel proclamation it's the good news of what Jesus Christ has done to reconcile sinners back to God. An all powerful, glorious God who created us and will punish sin. All people created good, but now deserve the wrath of God because we're completely sinful. And God in the flesh comes to fulfill the requirements that we owed to God and die the punishment we deserved and rise again to give His people eternal life. And what you do in response to that is you repent, you agree that your life is sinful and actively turn from that sin, and you trust that Christ really did what he said he did, namely dying in your place and rising again to defeat sin and death for you. And guess what? When you're trapped in guilt and things get hard, you go back to the story and you realize it's just as true for that, those little shepherds in Bethlehem 2,000 some years ago, it's just as true for you tonight. So we participate in this restoration by making disciples Sharing the good news of Jesus. Teaching those who follow Him to continue to live more like Him. And we're still in the middle of watching God rescue the world and people while awaiting the time when He comes back to completely restore everything. And in our mission to do that, here we're going to get to 2 Timothy after the 31-minute introduction. Sorry about that. In our mission to do that, we use the Scriptures not as a way to wield them in order to make ourselves more holy, holier than thou, but to remind us of the story and by His Spirit prompt us to align to look more like Him. And one of the books that He gave us to do that is 2 Timothy. So with that being said, 
quickly. Let these commands from 2 Timothy, hope I did this for me studying, like remind you of how far we've come in 15 weeks. Like give you an opportunity to repent of all the ways that you failed this, these 15 weeks. But also see them as glorious promises because in the new covenant, Jesus sends his spirit to us to literally cause us to obey. Commands have built-in promises because God will make you like his son. So chapter 1, we get the main, I promise this will be quick. Chapter 1, we get the main thrust and we're introduced to the relationship between Paul and Timothy. We remember, guys remember this man, we, we celebrated this together this semester. We remember that the Lord Jesus died to let you serve him, listen, with a clear conscience. Not held back by former sins. We learn that faith is passed down. And and we also learn that the Lord used women in a mighty way in Timothy's life. Remember, mom and grandma passing it down. And then in 2 Timothy 1, 6-7, Paul says this, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, listen, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So the reason that Timothy has a sincere faith to pass down and Paul giving him this command charges Timothy and us to fan into flame our own zeal for our gospel mission. Fighting fear through power, love, and self-control. And then we're charged to never be ashamed of the gospel while knowing that living a life for the gospel will get you shamed. Y'all remember that one? I remember exactly where I was. That was week two in here, we were still over there. We celebrated that. That the gospel is going to get you shamed, but you will never be ultimately ashamed because God has accepted you. And even though we're going to get shamed, we must guard the good deposit entrusted to us as we suffer in this broken world. And this can only happen through the mercy of Jesus, who empowers us to render good service for Him. Chapter 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We need grace to be our strength as we continue passing down our faith to the next generation. And remember, followers of Jesus in this ministry, y'all remember this, are to be like soldiers who fight to please God alone. They are athletes who compete to win, even though the world will see us as losers. And they are farmers who work hard and do hard things, even when the results are invisible as they wait for God to bring the growth. Don't give up on this ministry, because I know things have been hard this semester. But the Lord is doing something under the surface that we can't see. That was week eight. Tori reminded us that in her testimony. So we keep fighting as soldiers. And you remember, we endure everything for the sake of those who haven't come to know Jesus yet. We don't stop. God is good. Hell is real. Time is short. And even when we're faithless, God is faithful to fulfill every single one of his promises because God cannot deny himself. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We must work hard to be approved workers who can handle our weapon. People who do not focus on their holiness will spread sin like gangrene and ruin the church's witness. God's true people will be marked by a holiness and repentance that shines bright. Flee from sin. People far from Christ are trapped by the devil to do his will. Chapter 3. 
Because of this, things will be very difficult for the church before Jesus comes back to set everything right. Because people will love themselves, pleasure, and anything but God. But we've got to make sure that we're repenting of these things ourselves. Verse 9 says, but they will not get very far. For they, their folly will be plain to all, as it was of those two men. Evil in this world will not get very far. God wins. Y'all remember that? We sang that night like people who were victorious over this evil world. And we must continue to follow the path of Jesus as others fall away. That was Adam's sermon. And the Word of God is everything we need to be taught, corrected, rebuked, and reproved, and shaped for every good work that He has planned for us. Chapter 4. Because of the power of the Word, preach. Be ready in season and out of season. People are going to love lies and have itchy ears, and we have the truth. Verse 5 is, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Remember, at this point in God's story for Paul, he was already being poured out as a sacrifice for God's glory. So keep doing your ministry for the sake of the Lord. Paul tells us that if we keep the faith, we get the crown. As the Lord keeps us and gives us the crown of righteousness in Him. And the letter ends with Paul showing us that Jesus and people are what truly matter in this world. And that one day we're all going to die. And what we do in Christ for the kingdom of God is what will truly last. So as Jake and Kelly come back up, let's get to work on our ministry. Persevering through sin and suffering and evil. Make disciples to pass this movement on. And do not quit. Because we cannot lose. And we win in the end. And the book ends with this. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Father, I pray tonight that as we get ready to sing, that we will not sing as people who are held down by former sins. That we will not let a lack of momentum or hard transitions or hard goodbyes or uh, strained relationships keep us from like right now just giving ourselves to you knowing that you can redeem all of our wasted time Father thank you so much for your word and thank you for the book of 2 Timothy I pray that you would create in us people who don't quit when things get hard you would make us disciple makers that aren't content with seeing one generation of people get excited about you, but that we would endure everything for the sake of those who do not know you. Father, we can't do this without you. So I pray in some way, supernaturally, you would work through your word, by your spirit, into our hearts. Make us look more like Jesus so that we might bring more glory to you. It's in his name we pray. Amen.